You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Church, you guys can be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you here. I'm so glad you've worshiped with us. You want to be getting out your Bibles or unlocking them or turning them on, you can turn to Genesis chapter 29. Uh, But before we get too far into our text today, I want to say a big thank you. So Friday night, we had our last tailgate of the season, uh, and it was a whole lot of fun. And we had a lot of people help out with that throughout the year. And so I don't know if you know this, it is not that easy to feed that many people. And so a whole lot of people helped out. Mark does a ton uh, to get the food ready. Uh, Every week, Brian, Diana, Gil were out there early just cooking and chopping and setting up. Uh, Damaris and Joel Richardson were out there. Damaris is out there nine months pregnant, just chopping and making guacamole and all kind of stuff. Uh, Bobby Freeman and Brian, they fixed up a trailer for us to get that going. And I got to tell you, every week we had it, there were people there who didn't come to our church. And so it was so neat to kind of see that as a community gathering spot for people around our community. So thank you uh, to everyone who make that ha- made that happen. So Genesis 29, we're going to continue. Uh, right now we've talked about Abraham. We're going to continue with the story of Jacob. Uh, but it's worth pausing to remember how we got Genesis, how we got this, what really is a history of a nation that's the beginning of the history of our redemption. So these stories weren't written down real time as everything's unfolding. There wasn't a guy right there. But wait, I got to get that. No, no. Moses is writing Genesis years after these events, and he's writing to what is now the nation of Israel, God's people, as they are leaving Egypt, as they're leaving 400 years of slavery, they're about to enter the promised land, what God promised Abraham. And before they get there, Abraham has to introduce these people to God. He has to reintroduce the nation of Israel to God and tell them who God is. Now, what we've read so far, I don't know about you guys, but over the past few weeks, this is not exactly how I would choose to introduce God to people. What we essentially have gotten is story after story of a dysfunctional family. Story after story where no one's a good guy, there's no good heroes, it's just a mess. It's a dumpster fire so far. And I want to say Moses. Moses, why are you airing out the family's dirty laundry? Why are you telling all these stories, the worst stories of our family? Here's why he's doing it. Because he wants that nation to know, to remember, that right smack dab in the middle of this messy past, God was shaping their future. Right in the middle of all the mess. And they need to know this. Moses wants them to know this because he's saying, listen, you will be flawed. All of your families will be dysfunctional. But God will bring redemption to you anyway. It just won't be because of you. He's going to do it, but it won't be because of you. And so we've seen as these stories have unfolded that what God is doing is he's setting a pattern for how we can have a relationship with him. How do messy, dysfunctional people have a relationship with God? And the answer, it's the same answer repeated over and over and over again. The answer is faith. You don't clean up your mess. He does it. And we said faith is building your whole life on God's ability to keep his promise, not on your ability to perform. 
in this story today, or we'll begin in Genesis 29:31. It's the center, the hinge point of the whole Jacob narrative, because this is the time when the promise of a nation begins to take shape. We've been waiting for this for generations, ever since God first appeared to Abraham back in chapter 12. And today, we are going to meet the sons who will become the 12 tribes of Israel. Isn't that amazing? Well, hold on, because you can probably guess by now, this is going to be a hot mess of a dumpster fire. The creation of a nation, the creation of the nation, essentially devolves into a comparison game between two wives. But through looking at their life and through looking at the story, it shows us why faith matters. Because, listen, the, the things that you and I want most in life, we will either receive from God or we will fight each other for it. See, we're going to find out today, comparison, comparison is not the way of faith. So our main point of, our, of the text in our sermon this morning is this, comparison is a thief that steals our faith and destroys our relationships. Comparison is a thief, and it will steal our faith and destroy our relationships. So let's look at the text. Let's turn to Genesis 29. We'll read 29, 31, all the way through verse 24 of chapter 30. We'll read a few verses and then talk about it. Verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me a son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. So we start off with this tale of two sisters. We find out right off the bat that Leah is unloved, it says. Hated, not by God, but by Jacob. You may remember the story. You've probably heard it. It comes right before this. Jacob worked seven years thinking he was going to get Leah's sister, Rachel, because she was the beautiful one. That was the one Jacob wanted. He worked seven years, but... Their, their father pulls the old switcheroo. And so he gets Leah instead of Rachel. And the reason their father was doing that was probably because her father didn't want Leah either. Leah's dad was trying to get rid of her, you see. And so Leah is the one no one wanted. Now her sister Rachel, she's beautiful, she's loved, but she's barren, we found out. And so what's happening is each one wants what the other has. You know, and how often is it true? We, come, we go places, sometimes we even come here on Sunday mornings, and we walk into church, and we see another person, and we think, if I just had what they have, then I could be happy. Then I would be loved. Then my life would mean something. All the while, at the exact same time, I've seen it over and over again, y'all, someone else is looking at us and thinking the same thing. You see this all the time in siblings. You know, children, a child can be the happiest person that has ever existed in the world. Laughing, smiling, not a care until they see their sibling with something that they don't have. Right? This, this plays out in our living room on a weekly basis. And all of a sudden, this happy-go-lucky child thought they were living heaven on earth. All of a sudden, they're disappointed. They lash out. 
They get mad. They set to even the score, you know? He's always thinking, did I say my kids? I think I meant me. I do that. We all do this because comparison is a thief. And it steals our faith and it destroys our relationships. But there's good news because from the beginning in verse 31, there's hope. The scene opens with hope because the scene opens from God's heavenly perspective. We are told that God sees and hears Leah. And so Jacob may have been ignoring her, may have been unconcerned about her, but we find out from the beginning, God is not. He's not. And so Leah has these sons because God sees her and hears her. And Leah's names for all of her sons, they all have this Godward perspective. With the eyes of faith, at least for now, she can see past her hurt, past her present circumstances to how God is working in her life. So let's look at these sons. The first two sons, all of these sons really throughout the story, they're going to have a word play in them. They're going to have some sort of double meaning. They're going to sound like something. And each time it kind of reveals, it's a window into their heart and into what's going on inside of them. So this first son, Reuben, Reuben sounds like you're saying in Hebrew, look, a son. And she says, it's because the Lord has looked upon my affliction. God has seen me. Although he is infinite, he is not indifferent. He sees me. And so I may not be loved by Jacob, but I am loved and I'm seen by God. Simeon, the next son, Simeon sounds like the Hebrew word for heard. She says, because God has heard that I am unloved. And it doesn't mean heard as in music playing in the background that you don't really notice. It's heard with the intent of acting. It's noticing in order to work for the highest possible good of someone. And so Leah here, she acknowledges, God has seen me and he has heard me. You see, just, just because you're experiencing pain and difficulty in your life, it doesn't mean you're abandoned it doesn't mean that you are unloved. See, from the beginning, we find out this is how God introduces himself. He hears the cries of our heart. He sees your struggle. We find this out from the beginning of the Bible, that God is presented as one who wants to work for your highest possible good. And we see, we see how we can live in this tension in the next two sons. So the next two sons, sons they show a journey of faith in a painful situation. So this third son is called Levi because it sounds like the word attached. And Leah says, surely now, we're on son number three. So surely now my husband will attach himself to me. She's hoping that now she will get what she wants and her pain will end. But it's not to be. See, Jacob, he, he never acts like the husband that he should be towards Leah. And we're supposed to see in him a reflection of Isaac. You may remember Isaac neglected his duties as a father because of his love for food, because of his appetite. Jacob neglects his duties as a husband because of his love of beauty. And all throughout the story, Leah is always the one with the most faith. She's always the one most interested in God's program. Rachel, Rachel later on is going to be the one that brings her father's idols into their home and brings judgment on them. But Jacob doesn't care. He is more concerned with beauty than he is with the kingdom of God. And so Leah will not get her wish, wish that Jacob will attach himself to her. But the next son is named Judah. And Judah sounds like the Hebrew word for praise. 
And she says, because I will praise the Lord, even if I don't get what I want, even in the midst of my pain, I will praise. I can praise God in the midst of my pain. Men and women, you know, sometimes, often in fact, God won't fix your situation, but he will bless you in the midst of it. And that means, that means that you and I, we can praise him in the midst of our pain. You know, I, I know this personally. I, I came to know Jesus in the midst of one of the most painful situations of my life. As a child, a child of a broken, dysfunctional family of divorce. And it was hard. It was one of the hardest times of my life. And you know what? God did not fix my circumstances. But he blessed me and he provided for me in the middle of them. He provided a church. He provided his people. He provided other men to point me to Jesus. But most of all, he saved me. He revealed himself to me in the middle of it. And so me, and I'm sure it's just the same for you. There's, there's things in my life, you know what? I wouldn't wish it on other people. I sure don't want to repeat it, but I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it because I got Jesus in the middle of it. I got some of the most valuable experiences of my life in the middle of it. And so you this morning, you may not have right now the life you thought you would or even the life that you've always dreamed of. You may be swimming in disappointment this morning, but you can choose the path of faith. You, God will see you in your struggle. He will hear your cries and you can praise him in the midst of your pain. That's what he did for Leah. I'll do it for you. And you know what? I, I wish as we carried on that it would be nothing but progress and faith from Leah, from everyone involved. But you know what? This is real life. And so instead of continuing to look to God and crying out, because knowing with faith that he sees and he hears them, what the two sisters do is they begin to just focus on each other. And they begin to just look at each other. And I want you to watch how comparison sends them into a spiral of broken relationships. Verse 1 of chapter 30. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here's my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. Did you notice how the chapter started? Not from God's perspective, but from man's. Instead of God saw, we see Rachel saw. Instead of seeing the situation from God's perspective, the text is signaling to to us, we're seeing it now from man's perspective. See, Rachel, she's not thinking about God. She's not thinking about the covenant. She's comparing herself to Leah. In comparison, it makes us lose God's perspective on our problems. And that is always a recipe for disaster. And we see in her, she repeats the words of Esau. You remember Esau comes in from hunting, goes in the tent. He's he's so hungry. He says, if I don't get something to eat, I'm going to die. He's kind of being a drama queen. Well, Rachel here repeats word for word Esau's cry. It's a cry of immediate gratification. I am not willing to wait on God's will. I want what I want, and I want it now. And so then 
her and Leah are going to repeat the same sin of Abraham and Sarah. In fact, verse 3 is an exact quote from Sarah. If you go read chapter 16, verse 2, it's almost word for word. So what they're saying is, hey, instead of building our whole life on God's ability to keep his promise, let's find a quick substitute. You know, every once in a while, people say, you know, how, how can you believe the Bible? They, they teach things like polygamy and children by servants. That's, that's all in the Bible. Well, hear me out. Yes, it is in the Bible, but it is certainly not endorsed by the Bible. It's always a failure of faith. We've already seen it repeatedly in Genesis. And it always is a mess. It's always a dumpster fire. This use of servants, this practice of polygamy, it's always in the Bible, a sinful substitution. It's always an attempt by people to meet their own needs, and it leads to generations of sorrow and suffering. Here in the story, it's leading Rachel and Leah to envy, to jealousy, to very unhappy lives. And in fact, later on, we're going to find out one of these brothers, a bunch of these brothers, is going to sell one of the others into slavery out of jealousy that can be traced all the way back here. It's a mess that lasts for generations. And so you and I, listen, we may not practice polygamy. I, I hope you're not. I hope you're not practicing polygamy right now. But we absolutely, every day of our lives, look for sinful substitutes to get what we want. And here's why we do Because when we choose the way of comparison, we need to win. So we try shortcuts around faith. And it always blows up in our faces, doesn't it? Why, why, why do we do this? Well, often we do this for the exact same reason these women are. We want to be loved. We want to be valued. We want to matter. Alan Ross wrote a great commentary, maybe one of the best commentaries on the book of Genesis. He says it this way. The desire for affectionate approval often leads people down dangerous paths. Unrequited love lack of recognition, or complete disregard is difficult to endure. One recourse is to pursue love and recognition by any means without regard to the cost in terms of the long-range effects. Such a direction is life on an earthly level. It is not the way of faith. Men and women, we all experience pain and hurt, but that pain in your life, it's like an intersection. And you have to decide. It forces you to decide which road you will take. The way of faith leads us to wait on God and to praise him in the midst of our pain. The way of comparison tells us to use any means necessary to get what we want and to win. And so Rachel offers up her servant, Bilhah. And the names of these sons, I call them the nanny nanny boo boo names. It's I win, you lose, ha 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 ha. First one is called Dan because it sounds like judged. She says, God has judged me and has heard my voice and given me a son. In other words, God took my side. I win. Ha ha, you lose. So look what she's doing. She's taking God's gracious hearing, his gracious provision, and turning it into a weapon against her sister. The next one's named Naphtali. Sounds like wrestling. Essentially, she says, me and my sister have been in a wrestling match, and I win. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Because her focus is on her sister, not on God. 
And remember this, remember, these children are bringing about God's redemption in the world. This is essentially the Christmas story here. But to Rachel, they're just a way of keeping score. That's all they are. That's how much envy and jealousy and conflict can warp our perspective if we're not careful. Let's keep reading verse 9. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. Y'all, to me, these are some of the saddest verses in the whole story. I want to say, oh, no. Not you too, Leah. Not you too. She started off with a Godward focus, and now she is only focused on this battle with her sister. Again, did you see it? Verse 9. Not God saw, Leah saw. Again, looking at her situation from her own perspective instead of God's. What's happening, the text is telling us, is is comparison. It's poked a hole in Leah's bucket of faith, and that faith is just leaking out is what's going on. So she names her first son Gad. Sounds like fortune. No mention of God. No faith. It's just luck and fortune now. Asher, she names because it sounds like happy, but notice, not because God has called her happy, other women have. She cares what others think more than God. So neither women at this point, neither are concerned about God. Y'all, they're not even concerned about Jacob. They are only focused on each other. Comparison is robbing them of their faith and their relationships. And then we get this awful episode, verse 14 through 22, where they essentially resort to uh, sorcery and superstition. It's another step away from faith. And so one of Lisa's sons, Reuben, goes and gets some mandrakes. Mandrakes in that time were believed to cause fertility. And not like in a nutritional sense, they boost your metabolism. No, no, no. Like voodoo, magic, sorcery is what's going on here. So Rachel wants them because she thinks they're going to help her get pregnant. And, and Leah says, okay, I will sell you these mandrakes in exchange for some time with Jacob. Now, listen, at least in the beginning of the story, they understood that it was God who either provided or denied. Now they are simply resorting to cultural magic. I'll put this thing under my pillow. I'll make my vision board. I'll do whatever the culture tells me will earn me what I want to win this competition. And the other thing they're doing is turning every relationship in their life into a transaction. This section is filled with transactional language. So Leah sells Rebecca the mandrakes for some time with Jacob. And in verse 16, Leah tells Jacob, you have to be with me because I hired you. I paid for you. I have to imagine Jacob wasn't too upset about that. But notice what they're doing. At least they used to want Jacob's love. They wanted human things like recognition, blessing, appreciation. Now he is subhuman to them. He is a livestock stud who is bought and sold in order to win a competition. Comparison is making them devolve, and it is destroying their relationships. Keeps going, verse 17. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. 
And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called him Zebulun. The name of these sons, again, tell us the reflection of what's in her heart at the time. Issachar sounds like the Hebrew word for wages. Oh, no, Leah. Oh, no. God has given me my wages. Now she is using transactional language, not just for Jacob, but for God. Praise is gone. She's completely forgotten grace. There's no faith. I earned this from God. The next one, Zebulun, sounds like honor. She's talking about her dowry. So uh, a dowry, it's a gift of honor and appreciation back in that culture that you're supposed to receive at the beginning of your marriage. We are now years, if not decades in, six sons in, and she still hasn't received the honor that she has desired. But now she thinks, now, now that I've done all this, surely I've earned the honor that I deserve. God owes me and Jacob owes me. That's where her heart is right now. See, these people, they're doing what we always do when we choose comparison over faith. Instead of accepting blessing from God by faith, we use our own sinful substitutes to get fake blessings. And these fake blessings, they never measure up. They're never as good as the real thing. Recently, in fact, I think it was last Sunday on the way home from church, I was driving with my daughter, Hannah. And she all of a sudden announces, Daddy, I'm not going to call you Daddy anymore. I said, okay. And I waited in expectation of what name of honor and respect would she bestow upon me next? She goes, instead, I'm going to call you fake mommy. (laughs) Turned out a couple days earlier, she needed some help with her hair and stuff. And she called for mommy and I showed up. It's fake mommy. And look, as much as I wanted to be offended, I get it. Okay, I get it. I can't do her hair like her mommy can. If I go to make the grilled cheese, it's not going to taste as good. I'm forget to cut the crust off. I'm a fake mommy. I'm a lesser version. Let's just call it what it is. Not as good as the real thing. These fake blessings that we go after, they're like that. They are never as good as the real thing. They will disappoint you. They never actually give us what we want. Leah's not happy. Rachel knows that these kids aren't really from her, and she feels just as broken as ever. And not only will they not deliver on what they promise, they will create all kinds of messes in your life. They've caused these women to forget forget God. They've created envy, magical thinking, competition, and scorekeeping that will last for generations. Comparison is a thief. It steals our faith and destroys our relationships. But praise God, men and women, this is not the end of the story. Verse 22, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph saying, may the Lord add to me another son. This Starting in verse 22, this is the climax of the story. Because as the reader, we're supposed to be thinking, surely God is ready to give up on these people. 
Each generation seems only worse than the previous one. God has seen them. God has heard them. God has provided for them. And how they responded to his grace? With hatred towards each other. With demanding transactional attitudes towards God. Maybe this was all a bad idea, guys. But did you notice how verse 22 started? The same way the story started, with hope. We return to God's perspective. The story opened with hope, and it's closing with hope. Because God remembers Rachel. Well, why did God remember Rachel? What, what great acts of righteousness has she done? None. None. It's all grace. There is no end to God's supply of grace for messy people. She simply had just this little sliver of faith that caused her to give up on the comparison game and she stops depending on sinful substitutes. And this verse makes it clear for the first time, Rachel finally turns to God. And he answers in his grace. And she has this son that she names Joseph. Now Joseph really has a double meaning. It has two meanings. It can sound like two different things in the Hebrew. First meaning, it it means he has taken, and she says this, he has taken away my shame. He has taken away my reproach. But Jacob also sounds like, may he add. And so she adds this cry of faith that, that out of, I can see who God is out of him providing for me now. And that means there is a hope and a trust in the future. I can have faith moving forward. And so Rachel shows us, like all so many times, so many people in these stories have showed us, it is never too late for faith. It's never too late for faith. Your past does not disqualify you from God's future for you. Maybe in the midst of your pain and your disappointment in life, you've, you've taken your focus off of God and you've started putting it on everyone else around you. And maybe you've been locked in a comparison battle with the people around you, with your family, with your marriage, in your, at your workplace. Maybe every relationship in your life has become just a little bit transactional. Today, right now, you can turn your focus back up to God. It is never too late for faith. You can look to him to be with you in the midst of your circumstances. You can believe he sees you, that he hears you, and you can stop fighting with each other. You know, I can't help but thinking, how could it have been different for Leah? If Leah could have continued, maybe even grown, continued seeing with eyes of faith. Because, yes, her life was hard, unloved by her husband, despised by her sister. Yet, God was using her in ways that you and I would only dream of. Way back, into chapter 29, 29 29-35, before the whole mandrake and servant fiasco, she gives birth to this son named Judah. Because the name means praise. And Judah will become the line of kings. Judah will become the line of the king of kings. She is the mother of kings and of the Messiah. God was fulfilling her desires to a greater extent than she could even dream or imagine. She could have chosen the way of faith over comparison and spared herself so much heartache and replaced it instead with joy seen from the eyes of faith. And so can you. So can you. 
That's why Moses is writing this history. Remember, he's writing it warts and all because he is writing to a future people who will have to wander through a Spartan desert, experience all kinds of pain, and they will doubt God. They will seek sinful substitutes. They will let comparison steal their faith, yet God will ensure he provides redemption through this cosmic force called grace. And what about Rachel? You know, God has plenty of love and grace for every person in this story. And there at the very end, out of faith, her last words are whispers of Jesus. We can celebrate the full meaning of her words, I think. The best way to celebrate it probably is for us to close the service taking the Lord's Supper together. So she said when she named her son, she said it means may God provide another son. And God did provide another son. God saw our inability to fix ourselves. He heard the cries of our pain and anguish in our brokenness. But he didn't just see and hear from afar. He came close and he took it all upon himself. And so Jesus said, this descendant of Judah from Leah says, this blood that I shed it's for you. It's for you. It's to forgive you. It is to heal you. This body of mine that's broken, it's broken for you. It's for you because of my love and grace so you can stop all your petty competition, your envy, your bitterness, your sinful substitutes. And just like Joseph's name, Jesus worked out an exchange. He gave something and he took something away. Through faith, he removes your shame just like God did for Rachel. But then he gives you something. He gives you all the righteousness you need. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it's the great exchange of the gospel. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He had no sin in him, no sin at all, but he took all of ours. He took all of your sin from you and put it on himself. It says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love that phrase, the righteousness of God. Not bottom shelf, cheap, off-brand, great value righteousness. Name brand, the righteousness of God himself he gave to you. That's the exchange of the gospel. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.